Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. God bless you. You can be seated. It's good to see you this morning. Thank you so much for being here. Man, God is so good. And he's doing so many great things in our church. There's a lot of exciting things happening just this past week. On Tuesday evening, there was a group of people, our dream team, we had a special event for everyone who serves, rented out one of the theaters, and we got to watch a great movie together. Really appreciate all the dream team members who were able to make it out to that, but we really appreciate our dream team just as a whole, whether you made it to the movie or not. We love you. We're thankful for you. You're using your gifts and serving really enables us to advance the kingdom of God, that we're in this together. We're working together as a body of believers, working towards the mission that God has given us. So really appreciate all of our dream team members. If you are not a part of the dream team, we'd love to have you serving in some capacity. And so a next step for you, if you haven't done it already, is to go through growth track that'll be happening next Sunday in one of our upstairs classrooms during the 11 o'clock uh, service. And so you can sign up for that when we do announcements here in just, just a little while. But we really appreciate our, our dream team. So it was awesome to get to spend time with you Tuesday night. Then Wednesday night was every one night. You got to hang out and spend just special time in the presence of, of God together. And then this coming weekend are our special services with evangelist Tim Hall. I'm really excited about that and believe it. It's going to be a powerful time, genuinely a powerful time in the presence of God. It's going to be a time of life change. I, I want my life changed. I want to fall deeper in love with Jesus. I want to see people come to know Jesus. I know that's what you want as well. So I'm genuinely excited about those services. So a couple of things. One, I, I want to make sure that you are there to make plans to be there. The first one's Friday evening at 7 and then Saturday evening at 7 and then Sunday morning, we're going to have one service at 10, mer merging our two services. So I want you to be aware, be planning to be there. The second thing, I want you to invite people. Make sure other people know we want to go and compel people to come in. There's invite cards that will be available. I'd love for you to make use of those. Invite coworkers, family members, neighbors, wait waiters, waitresses, whoever you feel like inviting, invite them. And then the third, third thing I'd ask you to do is just be, be praying and believing with me. This is really going to be... Uh, something that is significant in the kingdom of God, significant for our community. Lives are going to be changed. We're going to be shaped and molded to be more like Jesus. I would love it if some of you would be willing to take a day this week and, and fast, just set a day aside to be fasting and praying for these special services. So if, you, if you're willing to do that, I would love for you to join me in that. And uh, I'm really, really excited for these services this coming this coming weekend. Also, especially on that, that Sunday morning as we merge services, if you would be willing to use our shuttle parking, park up at the mall, and you, you know, if you want to drop your family off at the door, if you need to do that, and then just you can ride down in the, in the shuttle bus, that would be an enormous blessing to help clear out room. You know, we are growing, and while we figure out some challenges with our parking lot, the more people we can get to use our shuttle parking, that is an enormously wonderful way that you can serve, serve the body. So if you're willing to do that, please make use of shuttle parking. If you're not, then don't. Don't let that be a deal breaker and just not come. We want you here, but if you're willing to do that, please, please do that. You know, this is a year of unusual spiritual progress. Anyone else determined to make unusual spiritual progress? So, so, praise the Lord. This, this is a year where I, I want us each to have that determination, where there's a boldness that you'd say it to someone. Like, go ahead, watch me. I'm, I will make 
unusual spiritual progress this year. So Romans chapter one, verse 17 says, this good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish. What God does in us from the very beginning all the way through to the end where we join him in heaven, the entire process, all of the progress that we make is done how? From start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Everything God wants to do in you, everything he wants to do through you, it's going to happen by, by means of us being men and women of faith. So if this is a year where we're gonna make unusual spiritual progress, it makes perfect sense that God would have us early on in this year to devote some time to building our faith and getting focused on how important it is for us to have faith. So we've been doing this series, this is the fourth week now, kind of coming off one of our core values as a church family. We believe, that's just who we are. We are people that really believe the, the word of God. This isn't just a nice document. We build our lives on God's word, that we are people who believe. And we started off looking at what Jesus said when he said, all things are possible to those who believe. That, that is an amazing statement for us to wrap our hearts and our minds around that if a person believes, all things become possible. That means no thing is impossible for a person who, who believes. We said when you step into the realm of belief, you leave, you leave limitations behind. It's like swinging open a door to a new kind of realm where all things become possible. Do you know the progress you make this year in any realm of life is only limited by the level that you're willing to set your faith and believe? Because all things are possible. There's no limit. It's not possible to move beyond that as you progress this year. All things are possible to those who believe. The way you progress in your marriage, in your career, in your finances, there's nothing that's outside the realms of possibility for a person who believes. You can apply that wherever you want. You know, for, for our youth ministry, you know, it, it's possible to have a youth ministry that runs hundreds and hundreds of people. It's possible to have a youth outreach that shakes the entire county and impacts public high schools. That, that's possible. The only thing that would keep that is from us having faith that doesn't stretch quite, quite that far. God says he's able to do immeasurably beyond anything we could ask or imagine according to a power that's on, already at work on the inside of us. But if you don't believe it, then you'll never act on it and you'll never see the, the fruit of that. All things are possible. I'm using them as an example. You can apply that to your life, to your family, to your relationship with your children. If you can build your faith, all things are possible to the person who believes. So you could flip that around. If I'm limited in belief, then I'm limited in possibilities. If I don't believe, things become impossible. But we said possible isn't good enough. We don't want to just say things are possible. We want to get to a, a point where we move it from possibility to reality. So we talked about how faith, real Bible faith, isn't just uh, adhering to things mentally. It's not just having really good doctrine. It's acting on it, that we, we believe things, and then we begin, begin to take steps, that faith is action. James said, faith without works, faith without, without actually doing anything, is a dead. It's, a, it's an impotent kind of faith. We talked about how faith is a shield. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Then we talked about ways that you can build faith, that we build faith that it comes from the word of God. And we need to have an unusual level of engagement with God's word to build our faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. You know, your, your level of dominion, your level of victory, your level of confidence, your level of joy, your level in the kingdom to the, to the extent that you succeed is going to come back to your knowledge of the word of God. God said, my people perish. They don't do good. 
They don't advance because of their lack of knowledge. There's some Christians that have served God a long time, but they would be stretched to try to rattle off three or four verses that would give credibility and confidence to their place in life. You, you need to know what God's word has to say about you. Jesus knew what God's word had to say about him. I was re- reading through the gospel of John. John the Baptist, when he was asked, are you the Messiah? He said, no, I am the voice of one crying. He knew God's word and how it applied to him specifically. You and I need to know God's word and how it applies to you. What does this book, what does God say about you and your level in life, what he has, what he has called you to? You need to know the word of God. Don't, don't excuse yourself from having a vast knowledge of God's word. Well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a minister. So I don't really need to be an expert in these things. You know, the devil doesn't care if you're a pastor or not. Anything that's not built on the word of God, he's free to attack and tear it apart. Jesus said, unless we build our lives on the rock of the word of God, actually applying it, not just being hearers, doers of the word of God. When storms come, when the enemy throws things at you, you'll be left standing. But the life that isn't built on actually doing God's word, pastor, not pastor, it doesn't matter. It's vulnerable to every storm, every storm of life. So we need to know the word of God. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't come to tease. He doesn't come to make fun of you. He's he's not messing around. And he will blast away, destroy anything that isn't protected by the shield of faith. And the shield of faith comes, comes from the word of God. We talked about how important is the words that come out of your mouth. In Isaiah chapter eight, verse 20, it says, anyone who doesn't speak according to the word, if they say stuff that's out of line with the word, then it reveals something. It says if they don't speak in line with God's word, then it shows that there is no light in them or there's a limited light, that it reveals things. Now, we don't share that so we can judge other people on their level of light. Listen to what comes out of your mouth. What what do you actually say in conversation? When you talk about the problem that you're dealing with, what's coming out of your mouth, pay attention because it reveals the level of light that you actually have. Yeah, I believe in healing. I believe in protection. I believe that God's gonna guide me and direct me. Do you really have light on that or do you just know that other people have said those are good things to believe in? So you you say you believe in them, but it's not actually coming out of your mouth like light. Like It's actually revelation that you have specifically. It's important that you get revelation from God, from his word. You know, when Peter said, when he was asked, who who do men say that I am? said, you're you're the Messiah. You're You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. The father revealed it to you. And then he said, on this kingdom, on, on this rock, I'll build my kingdom. There's lots of different applications and takes on that. But one way you can understand that, and I believe an aspect of that revelation, God builds his kingdom, advances it, when people get direct revelation from him. On this rock, I'll build my kingdom. Part of the rock was flesh and blood didn't reveal this. You didn't just hear it from someone. You got light from the Holy Spirit, from the word. You need to get light. Spend time in the word of God so God can speak to you. And that's how he advances his kingdom in you and through you. So we don't want to be people who attend church just to come and nod and say nice service and then go home and there's no actual application that we're not using the things that God has been, God has been speaking to us. That we want to be people that take it and actually apply it in real life. That we talk about faith being a shield. You know, when God gives us equipment, it's because we need the equipment that he gives us. When it talks about the armor of God, have you ever been given something and you're like, what in the world is this for? And then later on you realize like, okay. Now I understand what that's for. If you, first time you ever eat at like a barbecue restaurant, 
and they bring you some of those uh, like little wet naps and stuff, put a stack of those. You're like, what in the world do I need this for? Then by the end, when you're covered in barbecue, I like, like, okay, now I get it. Okay, it wasn't a good illustration. <laughs> but just full disclosure, the other one I was considering was when my dad first gave me a, a cup for playing baseball. And... Uh, <laughs> So I tabled that in favor of the barbecue one. But I guess the lesson is you don't always need an illustration. (laughs) So one of the things that we talked about was that when we come to Jesus, Jesus said we need to come to him as, as a child and that Part of being childlike is that there is simplicity. So when we talk about faith, the way that I come to Jesus from start to finish, it's my faith. So my faith needs to be childlike in a sense. And childish, childlike has to do with one aspect, one characteristic is it's simple. So if you open a book and you see a very, very simple text, simple pictures, simple content, Uh, This is a kid's book. How do you know? Even if it's not labeled as a kid's book, you you know just by the level of simplicity. You've never been reading your kid a bedtime story and been lost in the the plot turns and the complicated characters and the layers of of meaning because a kid's book is simple. So when it comes to our faith, don't allow people to make believing God and walking in faith some complex, confusing matters. It's simple. It's believing God's word and acting on it, actually applying it to the situations of our life. Living like what God said is actually true. That's what faith is. It's simple. You know, another characteristic of a child, and again, we come to Jesus as a child, is that children, children are growing. Children continue to grow. So if I'm supposed to approach Jesus as a child, that means I need to be in a state where growth is just a part of life. If you have kids, you know all too well how frustrating it can be when your kids are growing at a, at a rapid rate, that you buy them clothing that by the time you get it home from the store, they've outgrown it. Like this just fits you in the fitting room. It, it doesn't fit you anymore. You're cramming your kids' feet into shoes, telling them just to deal with the blisters. You got to fold their toes under. We just, we got to get our money's worth out of those shoes. You've had them two weeks. They can't be, you know, winter coats. You're lucky, lucky to get one season you know, they put their winter coat on from last year and they look like, you know, Frankenstein's monster with three-quarter length, three-quarter length sleeves. Now, if, if a parent is wise, insightful, godly even, they will be careful to make sure that all of their children are the same sex so that they can make, <laughs> make, uh, make good use of all of the clothing that they buy. You can see... Um, you know, some of the, the folly in these parents, they have boy and then a girl and a girl and a boy and just mix it all, all together. That the better way is just, just pick one and, and go with it, amen? <laughs> so th- this is actually gonna be the last day of this series. We've got the Revive services next week and then we're excited about a new series. We'll begin after that. But man, we've just been scratching the surface of faith. So what we'll probably do is do some online teachings to go along with this, to continue to talk about it. But as we wrap this up, we've been talking about uh, ways that we grow our faith, which is super important. But there's also some things that can be a part of our life or can creep in that hinder us from growing. 
some dangers to our faith. So I want to talk about two primary things that threaten the advancement and growth of our faith. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy chapter one, we'll start reading in verse 18. Paul says this, he says, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Here, here it comes. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples. I threw them out and handed them over to Satan so they might learn not to blaspheme God. So this is part of one of Paul's letters to his spiritual son, Timothy. And in it, he refers back to things that God had spoken to him specifically. And he said, I want to give you some insight, some instruction that's going to help you fight God's battles well. Another place he says that we fight the good fight of faith. So I'm going to give you something key that's going to help you succeed in, in those kinds of, of battles. And before I look at that specifically, I just want to acknowledge verse 20 because there's just important insight there. Verse 20 again, he says, Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples. I threw them out and handed them over to Satan so they might learn not to blaspheme God. He's talking about people that were messing up, making mistakes. And so they came to a point of decision where he says, I threw them out. I put them out of the church. They weren't allowed to attend anymore. And this isn't the first time we see this kind of thing in the early church. In 1 Corinthians chapter five is another example of someone who was doing things they shouldn't have been doing. So for a season, they, they were forbidden from coming to church. And he says, we put them out of the church in both instances so that they would be vulnerable to Satan's attacks. Think about that. If not attending church, if not being a part of church makes you vulnerable in a unique way for Satan to come and to attack you, then just coming to church and being a part of a body is a hedge of protection around you, around you and your family. That being in church is important. When we talk about people being planted in the house of God flourishing, this is part, this is part of the flourishing. Flourishing. You are more prone to flourish when you are not, your life isn't free for the enemy to pick apart and attack. There's protection. It's a blessing to be part of the, of the house of God. And you can see the foolishness of what some people voluntarily submit themselves to by, by not attending church or attending church very infrequently. That there is a blessing and there is protection. That the punishment was you can't come to church and there was severe consequences of what Satan would do in that, in that person's life. It's important for us to appreciate the benefit. You know, I'm blessed that you're here. I'm thankful that you're here. It's a privilege. I understand that. I mean that genuinely. Each person that calls this their church home, we are privileged to have you, to have you as part of our church. But it's also important for us to understand it's not just a, a privilege for us to have you. It's a privilege, and this applies to me as well. It's a privilege for us to be here. And it's a privilege that we can actually act so foolish that we lose that privilege. It's a privilege to have you. You, you can lose that privilege. And it's a, dangerous, it's a dangerous thing to find yourself in that situation. That, that's not what I want to focus on. Let's look at verse 19 again. Verse 19 says, Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. He says, cling to your faith. Here's the instruction that's going to help you fight the, the battles. 
cling to your faith. That word means to hold on to, but not just a, a casual holding on to. When, when you think clinging to something, you're holding on tight. It's like white, white knuckling. It's like uh, people say hold on in different scenarios and it has different meanings. You can hold on to something very loosely. But if you're, if you're in an airplane and the pilot gets on and just says, oh, hold on. You know, like, that, okay, some, something's coming, right? You're, you're like, you, you've, had, you've had to cling to something in a way that was more than just casually having it on, on your person. Maybe you've had to cling to something because you were afraid of falling or you had something in your hand. Have you ever had something in your hand that someone's trying to pry out of your hand? The way that you cling to it, I mean, you start getting desperate if it's really meaningful. You start doing all kinds of weird things with your fingers, how you're holding on, locking your hands together in ways that you never have before, bending stuff. I mean, you are, you are clinging and when you cling to something, there's an understanding that goes along with it. There, there is a force trying to take away from you whatever it is that you are clinging on to. And so that's the approach we have to take with our faith, to know that there are forces in this world that are actively trying to get you to diminish your faith, to remove your faith from you. And so the way you engage in your faith in Jesus, you need to cling to it. White knuckle, nothing has taken this from me. I'm protective. I'm protective of it. We've got to cling to our faith in Jesus Christ. He says some people have failed to do that. Some people haven't done it. And he says what they have done is they've chosen to violate their consciences. What does it mean to violate your conscience? If you violate your conscience, it means that you, you do things that you know you shouldn't do. Or you don't do the things that you know you're supposed to do. You violate your conscience. He's talking about sin. In James chapter four, it says, for the person who knows to do good but doesn't do it, for them, it is sin. And he says that when you violate your conscience, it has a devastating effect on your faith. Now, if you're here this morning and you question the validity of that statement because maybe there's some area in your life you know that you violated your conscience. Maybe it's become a way of life. I know I shouldn't do this, but you know what? I, I just go ahead and do it. Maybe it used to bother you, but over time it bothers you less and less. You're, you're, you're pretty comfortable with it now. He says that it's like a shipwreck. So don't, don't get comfortable thinking, well, I've been compromising in this area. I've let the sin in, in, in doing these things that I know I shouldn't do, not doing the things I know I should do. And I've seen no, no real penalty. I wouldn't say my faith has been shipwrecked. I mean, I'm in, in church this morning. I still believe in Jesus. So he compares it to shipwreck, which is an easy or a, a, an interesting comparison for him to make because that was an area where he had a lot of experience. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, as he's recounting some of his hardships, the apostle Paul says, I've been shipwrecked three times. That's a lot of times being shipwrecked. I've been shipwrecked zero times. I don't know one person. That, has anyone here been shipwrecked? If you have, I mean, do you know anyone? Let, one time, let alone two times, three times this guy has, has been shipwrecked. So he has, he's very experienced in the world of being shipwrecked. Now, we don't know all the details for all three shipwrecked incidents, but we do have a pretty detailed account of one of them in Acts chapter 27. And we won't take time to read the whole account, but if you're familiar with that story, Paul is a prisoner and they're taking him to Rome. And on their way to Rome, they stop at a port. It's later in the year than what they had anticipated. And so Paul says, you know what? We shouldn't go. 
We shouldn't go back out to sea. We should stay here. Let's spend the winter here, and then we can go. And, but there's people on the boat, and he's a prisoner, so he's not really calling the shots. They decide we should go anyway. Later on in this story, Paul stands up and says, you should have listened to me the first time I told you we shouldn't have left. And then he gives them instruction from God on how they can spare their lives when they're facing absolute devastation. So you can almost think of the voice of Paul as like a conscience in this story of shipwreck. It's interesting to, to interweave these two passages of scripture as he warns against shipwreck violating your conscience. Here he is as the conscience saying, here's what we should do. Here's what we should not do. And the people say, you know what? We're going out to sea. We don't care what you say. We're going to violate our conscience, so to speak, and go ahead and set sail. Now, if you know the story, you know that they hit wind that was contrary. It's later in the year. The wind, weather's starting to change. They hit winds that are difficult to navigate, and they get to a point where they're basically out of control. They're just adrift at sea. That's how some people's lives are when it comes to their faith, when they start to violate their conscience. And they think that they're doing okay because they're still afloat. But your faith isn't supposed to be some generic concept that just keeps you afloat. Faith is supposed to be a force that helps you do the things that God has called you to do. Faith is supposed to be a force that actually gets you somewhere intentional in life and you don't just kind of float around trying to keep your head above water. Faith brings direction. Faith gives you purpose. Faith puts a fire on the inside of you to accomplish the mission that God, God has for you. When you read through Hebrews chapter 11, those men and women of faith, it says things that they did and direct results because of the action that they took. It wasn't just that they had faith, they had faith and it got them somewhere. It got them to certain results. That's the way faith is supposed to, supposed to function in our lives. So again, don't take comfort in the fact if you've violated your conscience, you've been doing things you know you shouldn't do. You know, I shouldn't look at those things. I shouldn't go those places. I shouldn't be in this relationship. I mean, technically, according to the word, this is wrong, but I've been doing it this long and it seems to be okay. You might just be adrift at sea with devastation in in the near future if it weren't for the grace of God. So they, they drift at sea and eventually in this story, it says that this ship runs aground. It gets stuck as they're getting closer to land and the waves continue to beat on it. And eventually the, the waves absolutely destroy this, this ship. It starts to take on water. It destroys it to the point where people are holding boards and planks that have broken off it, riding it into shore. It devastates this ship. That, the ship wasn't made to do that. It wasn't made to take on water and fall apart, but it wasn't able to do the things that it was designed to do, and he's using this as a comparison for our faith. If you allow sin into your life, it has a devastating effect on, on your faith. Sooner or later, you will see it. And I'm gonna give you an opportunity in just a, a few minutes if you are in that category of, of people that has allowed sin in some measure into your life, you need to repent of it this morning and make sure that you leave here on a fresh track deciding, I'm not going to violate my conscience anymore. I don't want to shipwreck my faith. The Bible is filled with stories of people that thought they could get away with it, that they found comfort in sin and making compromises, but in the end, it was devastation because God's word is true. He knows what he's talking about. People who violate their conscience and the result is their faith becomes shipwrecked. When the Israelites went into the promised land, God told them, make sure that your sons don't marry the daughters of the people that are living there and make sure your daughters don't marry their sons. Because if you do that, your hearts will turn away from me and you'll end up serving idols and false gods. So they go into the promised land and eventually they end up doing the very thing God said not to do. 
I'm sure they justified it. You know, she's really pretty. He's really cute. He has a lot of money. It would make sense for us to join our families and just kind of bring peace to this, this area, whatever justification. But God's word proved true. And eventually they were, instead of serving the, the true and living God that brought them out of the land of Egypt, they're bowing down to little statues and things that, that aren't able to speak or hear that false gods because they compromised, because they violated their consciences and their faith became shipwrecked. It is a process. That boat was adrift at sea for weeks. It didn't happen instantly. So wherever you are in that process, today take advantage of the opportunity to make sure that you get sin out of your life before it destroys, destroys your faith. And unfortunately, I've seen it happen. People that are in church, doing good, serving the Lord, they start to compromise in certain areas, and it's just a matter of time. You know, faith, faith is what... It takes faith to ask God to forgive you of sins in the first place. You know, so when you set off, people make this deal in their minds that I'm just going to go ahead and compromise here. I'm going to violate my conscience. I'm going to go out and engage in this act. I'm going to enjoy this pleasure of sin for a little while. And then what I'll do is I'll just come back and ask God to forgive me. And it seems like a good plan. But when you violate your conscience, you're destroying the very thing. You plan on riding back into the arms of Jesus. And I've seen people get to a point in their, in their faith where they don't, they don't even believe in Jesus anymore because their faith has become shipwrecked. So it's a dangerous game to play. Say, I'm, I'm going to just violate my conscience a little bit, and then I'll ask God to forgive me. Well, you might get to a point where you don't even believe there is a God to forgive you. Sin always takes you further than you wanted to go and keeps you longer than you wanted to stay. Sin deceives us. The Bible says people's hearts are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Deceitfulness by definition is that you believe that true things are false and false things are true. So why would I submit myself to that force thinking that I'll still have the insight and revelation and understanding to get back to that place? I'm submitting myself to confusion. I might not even know that that place exists after a couple of weeks of messing with sin. So one of the things, we said we'll talk about too, one of the things, if you want your faith to grow, you've got to get sin out of your life. Sin will keep your faith from advancing. It says people have violated their consciences, and as a result, because of that, because of doing things they knew they shouldn't be doing, their faith has become shipwreck. Let's talk about, talk about the second thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 1, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me. Nothing. This is such a rich passage of scripture. So many things that we could pull out of it. One thing I want to focus on in verse two is he says, if I had the faith so that I could move mountains, which is the kind of faith that the Bible talks about. Jesus said, you and I can have that kind of faith. Faith of a mustard seed. You can speak to a mountain and tell it to move from here to there and it'll obey you. He's talking about that kind of faith. He says, if you develop your faith to that level, but you don't have love, you know what you really have? You have nothing. It, it doesn't do any good. And there's two ways to understand it. One is to think that someone has a level of faith that they can move mountains and they have those kinds of results but there's no real benefit. It doesn't really do anyone any actual good. Another way to understand it is that you've developed your faith to that level, but because you, ha because you haven't also developed love in your life, 
that the faith that you've worked to develop is impotent. It's not usable. That you, you have the amount of faith that you could speak to a mountain and tell it to be moved, but because there's not love in your heart, that you haven't developed love, then you can't use the very faith that you've developed, which makes sense to me because the Bible says in Galatians 5, 6, that faith works by love. So you can have a lot of faith, but if you don't develop the area of love in your life, then that faith isn't really usable. So the first thing that can keep our faith from growing and advancing is to allow sin in our lives. The second thing that can keep our faith from being effective is by not developing, not developing love, not growing, not growing in our love. And the Bible says in 1 John 4, 19, that we love because God first loved us. So if I want to grow in my love, then the place I need to start is growing in my understanding and confidence in the love that God has for me. You know, I, I used this illustration earlier this week with the staff. We, we talked about this thing, and I felt to share it this morning. We can develop our faith, but we also need to focus on our love because love is the foundation of faith. We, we can build faith, study God's word, and that's good and it's needed, but without love, again, that faith isn't usable. The, 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 the picture I, I used was if I said I was going to have a, a 4th of July party at my house, and I invited you guys all over, and I said, listen, it's going to be the fireworks show of all fireworks show. It's going to be a spectacular extravaganza. When these tents start popping up in all the parking lots with fireworks, I'm buying them all out, and I'm taking all the fireworks to my house, and I want you to come. We're going to light them all off. It's going to be awesome. So you all come to my house for, for 4th of July. We're eating uh, hot dogs and baked beans and spitting watermelon seeds. I mean, we're all in on 4th of July, and it starts to get dark, and now it's fireworks time. This is the moment we've been waiting for, and I've just got a mountain of fireworks. You get your lawn chair and you pull it around. You're ready to watch the show. I give a little speech before we start lighting them like Clark Griswold before he lights the Christmas lights. And you know, hey, we're about to enjoy some really spectacular fireworks. And when I, I turn to start lighting them off, I, I pat my pockets. And I realize I don't have a lighter. And I, I ask all of you, and of course you don't because you don't smoke. Why would you have a lighter? And so even though I've got all these, all these fireworks, there, there's nothing to make use of them. And so even though I have it, I can't use them. That's the way some people's faith is, that they spend time building their faith. Maybe that's the way your faith has been. If you've been frustrated, man, I feel like I'm building my faith, but I'm never able to see it actually produce anything. Maybe it's because you haven't taken time to develop love in your life. Love is the foundation for faith. Last week, we talked about Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope is important. We need to have hope. What a dangerous thing for someone to become hopeless in their life. Hope is a powerful force. We need to have hope. David said, I would have despaired unless I had believed. I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the power of hope. I would have despaired unless there was a force on the inside of me saying, I know things are going to get better. I know I'm going to come through this okay. I know I'm going to get the victory over this challenge. I know that I'm moving forward and not backward. He said, if I didn't have that force in my life, man, I would have despaired. I knew there was something in me. I had a hope. I will see the goodness of God in this life, in the land of the living. He had that hope. Last week we said, if you don't have faith, you can't really have biblical hope. You can hope for things and it's just like a whimsical dream of, man, it would be nice for that to happen. But real hope has to come on the foundation of Bible faith. That without faith, I can't have real hope. But without love, I can't have real faith. Because faith comes Faith comes from the foundation of love. love. Love is the foundation of the gospel. 
God so loved the world that he sent his only, his only son. And the Bible says in the end of 1 Corinthians 13 that these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these, the greatest of these is love because love gives a foundation for the other two to be built on. I can't have real hope without faith. I can't have real faith without knowing the love of God in a real way. In Hebrews chapter four, Hebrews chapter three, it talks about the Israelites on their journey through the wilderness after God brought them out of Egypt on their way to the promised land. And if you've ever read through that portion of scripture, you know how aggravating it can be when they start to complain after all God's done for them. They'll do good for a couple of pages and then they do something to disobey. They do something rebellious. And it's talking about that exact situation in the book of Hebrews chapter three into chapter four. Verse two of chapter four says this, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them but the word that they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Those people knew the word of God. Those people heard God's word, but it says it didn't profit them because they didn't mix it with faith. So we know that hearing the word of God is important. Faith comes from there, but there's got to be that progression that we've been talking about. They heard the word of God. It says that they heard it, but it didn't profit. There was no fruit from it because they didn't mix it. They didn't mix it into their lives by actually acting on it. That's where Bible faith comes alive by, by acting on it. Now, how in the world, when you think about all the Israelites experienced and all of the things that they saw, how in the world could they get to a point where they don't really have faith? Think, think about the plagues that they saw in Egypt, the way that God moved on their behalf, that they walked through the Red Sea on, on dry ground. They watched it open up. They walked through it. They watched it close over the Egyptian army. They watched God send manna to feed them every morning. They watched water come out of a rock to sustain them. They saw miracle after miracle after miracle. How is it that these, I mean, these people of all people should be the most faith-filled, strong in their faith group of people that there ever was. But he's telling us they didn't even benefit from the word of God because there was no real faith in their life. How can that be? After all they saw, they literally heard the voice of God speak from the mountaintop, and it was, it was so incredibly intense that they said, we, we don't want to hear that anymore. After everything they experienced, how could this group of people not have faith? Well, as you read through it and start to wonder that question, you'll, you'll see things that lead you to understand the reason that they didn't have faith, despite everything they experienced, is because they never really trusted the heart of God. They didn't trust his love for them. So you'll see God do amazing things, and then the people of Israel will ask questions like, did you bring us out just to kill us in the wilderness? Why did you bring us out of Egypt in the first place? Were there not enough graves? Is that why you, there weren't enough graves, God? That's why you brought us out? Did you bring us out here to starve us? Did you bring us out here to watch us thirst? They always questioned the heart and the motive of God. And because, because there wasn't a foundation of love, the faith that they would have from time to time, it was easy for circumstances to erode it because faith needs a foundation and the foundation of faith is love. Let me read to you from Numbers chapter 21. Numbers 21.5 says, And the people spoke against God. And against Moses, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes the worthless bread. 
You, you can hear the attitude in those words. The people complaining, people grumbling, people asking questions with an accusatory tone. That They're not just asking, they're making a statement with those questions. God, you have bad intentions. God, we can't trust you. you heart, your heart for us is actually to hurt us and not to help us. They say, you know, our soul loathes that worthless bread. You know what they're talking about? They're talking about the manna that God would make miraculously arrive at their door every morning. They've gotten to a point where they're ungrateful for the... Th- Miracles that are happening every day. And our, by the way, God, our soul loathes that worthless bread. You mean the bread that's kept you alive for 40 years? Do you wander around and complain? You're calling that worthless? Questioning, questioning the heart of God. So there's times as you read through the story where it'll specifically say, and then the people believed. At the end of Exodus chapter 14, after they came through the Red Sea and celebrated that their armies had been wiped out, those last couple of verses say, and then the people believed. There's times where they would come to faith, but again, that faith would be easily eroded by the next hardship they hit because there wasn't the foundation of love. Love is the foundation of faith. If I believe that my wife loves me, If I've got confidence, my wife loves me, she loves me, she loves me, it's going to be very easy to believe that she'll be faithful to me. But on the other hand, if I don't think she loves me, I kind of think my wife doesn't love me. I think my wife's fallen out of love with me. It'll become hard, if not impossible, to think that she's going to be faithful to me. Because faithfulness comes from love. Love doesn't come from faithfulness. Love is the foundation. I'm faithful to my wife because I love her. I don't love her because I'm faithful to her. When people question the heart of God, it it becomes impossible to build real Bible faith. Without real Bible faith, I can't have real Bible hope. It's it's a a strategy of the enemy to attack at that level because without that foundation, none of it can really stand, at least not not very long. I always like to go back to the, the Gospel of Mark. I won't take time to turn there, but most of you know the story. Most of you have heard us talk about the story. It's when Jesus is in the boat and there's a storm, the wind and the waves are getting crazy. The disciples think that they're going to die and they come, they wake Jesus up. He's asleep in the back of the boat and they cry out, don't you care that we're going to drown? And Jesus asks them two questions. He asks, why do you have so much fear? Why don't you have any faith? Jesus' questions are in response to their question. He's responding to what they said. Their question was, why? Don't you care that what's happening to us? Don't you care what we're going through? So their high level of faith or high level of fear, their low level of faith was directly related to the question in their mind, the question in their heart. Do you even care about me? But if I can get that settled, it becomes easy for me to believe all the faith you need for healing, the faith you need for guidance, the faith you need for provision. It becomes very easy as your confidence grows in the love of God for you. My kids don't have to work up and muster faith that I'm going to provide and take care of them. They don't have to try to muster up faith. They're going to be able to sleep under a roof tonight. If they're confident, if they're confident in the fact that their dad loves them, their father genuinely loves them with a love that isn't shaky. It's not wobbly. A love that isn't going anywhere. It becomes very easy to believe for all of the things that that love will provide. So it's a mistake for us to get obsessed just with faith. We need to focus on it. We need to grow in it. But if we don't grow in our understanding of how much God loves you, that faith will always be fragile at 
at best. If we can build any at all, it'll be fragile. It'll be, it'll be subject to whatever circumstances, circumstances we have in our life. But if I can get solid and confident, God loves me. He, lo- he really loves me. His love for me is so deep. And if it can be real in my life, faith becomes something that isn't something I've got to wrench my face, my face and, you know, muster all kinds of external things up to try to manipulate it. It's easy to believe God will do things for me when I understand how much, how much he loves me. The Bible says that love casts out. It casts out fear. Well, if it's casting out fear, fear is the opposite of faith. So if it's casting out fear, you know what it's bringing in? It's bringing, it's bringing in faith. That's just the nature of love. That when love comes in, two other things happen. Fear has to go and faith comes in just as a natural byproduct. When you know somebody loves you, I mean, there's all kinds of behaviors that come on on top of that. That's why Peter was able to instruct us to love one another because love can't, it it takes care of all kinds of different areas of sin. If I can just get that foundation in my life, and the same thing is true in our walk with God, if I can grow confident that God loves me. Let let me read one more passage, and then we're going to share communion together. In Jesus' letter to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, he writes to them, Jesus himself speaking to the church. He commends them on a few things. And then in verse four, he says, nevertheless, I have this against you. Here's what he has against the church. That you have left, you've separated yourself. You've left your first love. And then after that, he says, you need to return to where you have fallen from. You need to repent. Now you can read different commentaries and different people's understanding of what did Jesus mean when he told this church, you need to, you've left your first love. What did they leave? What did that look like? Some commentaries say that it means you, that these people stopped loving one another as a church family. There, there was a lack of love in the church. Other commentaries will say, well, no, actually it means that, that they stopped loving Jesus. They didn't love him the way that they should. Others say, well, it's actually a mix. It's a mix of both because our love for Jesus is actually expressed in our love for one another and all, they're, they're woven together. It's, it's both and, the love for one another and a love for Jesus. And I, I believe all of that is mixed in with this, but with the language he uses is specific. And he says, you, you've left what love? What love have they left? It's a specific love. He says, you've left your first love. And the word in the Greek is, is the same as the word in the English. First has to do with order of sequence, with order of, of priority. It's the first love. When we talk about first love, the number one love, the, the, the first love in order of origin, the initial love, the initiating love. What love are we talking about? We're not talking about our love for one another. We're not talking about our love that we have for God. The first love is the love that he has for us, that while I was still a sinner, that Christ died for me, that when I was far away from God, when I wasn't even aware of who he was, God sent his son to die in my place. That's initial love. That's original love. That's initiating love. And the problem with this church that was getting them into trouble, that Jesus himself was saying, you need to repent, is they had left. They'd fallen away from their first love. That is a tendency in the heart of man. Maybe you've experienced it, that initially when you come to Jesus, you are overwhelmed with his love. That's what drives you and causes you to commit your life to him. Jesus, I want you to have my life. I want you to have my everything. I want to spend eternity with you because you're moved by his love. But over the course of time, you can begin to drift from that love. Not that you don't believe it anymore. It's just not moving. It's not overwhelming. It's not inspiring the way that it was at first. That that love used 
used to be your everything. Now it's just one of your doctrines. It used to be life to you. Jesus, you love me. It used to be life to me. Now it's just a fact to me. It's something that I, I know about. That's leaving your first love. Love is the foundation that everything I do in the kingdom has to come, not from religious obligation, not from my priority, my, my, the things I have to do for, for church membership. Everything needs to come on the platform, on the foundation of the love of God. Paul said, I'm, I'm compelled by the love of God. As he went around, it wasn't because the people back in Jerusalem tell me I've got to go here and go there. Everything I do is in response to love. If it stops being that, it becomes dry religion very, very quickly. That the problem they had, they left their first love. When was the last time that you were overwhelmed with how much God loved you? Has it become just a fact to you? Has it become just something that you, I know I'm very aware. I know, I'm, yeah, I know the song. I know a song about it and everything. Jesus loves me this, I know. Oh, or is it something that causes your eyes to well up with tears? God, I'd do anything for you. Lord, thank you for loving me. Something, something that moves just beyond doctrine and belief. It, it, Lord, your love is life to me. I don't know what I'd do without your love. Your love, everything that I do, I want it to be in direct response to the fact that God loves me. He loves me. He loves me. This morning, we're going to take communion together. And Jesus said that we're supposed to do it, what? In remembrance. He gave us this meal that accomplishes a number of things, but what he repeatedly said is do this, eat this bread. What in remembrance, remember, drink this cup. What in rem remember, remember how much the father loves. Remember how much I love. Remember, says, as often as you do this, as often as you do it, you do it proclaiming my death until I, what's the significance of his death? Jesus said, there's no greater love than for someone to lay down their life for someone else. You're proclaiming, man, I love you with the greatest love. He wants that to overwhelm us so that it's, it, it's the foundation of everything we do, the foundation of our faith, which is the foundation of our hope. God loves me with a love that is so deep, so penetrating. You know, you know Paul prayed for this exact church that Jesus is speaking to? He's, it, that letter is written to the church at Ephesus. And in Ephesians chapter three, same group of people, Paul prays a prayer. He says, may you come to a deeper understanding of the love of God. Though it's so deep and so wide, so strong, so overwhelming, you'll never fully comprehend it. May your roots grow down deep into the soil of God's love, that you'll have a perpetual growing in your understanding of the love of, the love of God. That's the same group of people that Jesus is saying, you know your problem, you, you've allowed distance to come between you and how real my love is for you. You've allowed, there's a, it's, it's grown a little cold. My love isn't like fire to you anymore. It's just, it's nice. Man, if, if you think it's nice, you don't know the reality of the love that God has for you. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.